From TLDR News, this is Too Long Didn't Read. Hello, welcome to episode 18 of Too Long Didn't Read, the TLDR podcast. Joining me today are Zach. Hello. Ben. Hello. And Nelson. Hello. How are we all doing? Not bad. Not bad. Ben gets his results today, everyone. Yeah. Ben gets his university results Any today. sort of Final sudden results. shrieks, that's what it'll be. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm would be fun if it was fun, like, in the middle of a sentence, like, just absolute pure excitement. <laughs> yeah. Or despair, one of the two. If it's despair, this is all being cut out. I mean, the fact that you've put it so close to the beginning makes it so difficult to edit out. Yeah, but, you, you can't know, cut it out. It, we, I've, I've guaranteed it now. You, you have, you have. Well done. So we're just going to have to pray that it's good. Well, I am anyway. I mean, it makes no difference to you. Um... <laughs> So, I yeah. mean, for your sake, I'd like it to be good. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hoping it's bad just to get better, more views. Like, <laughs> you don't have to pretend to be a nice bloke, Jack. It's, it's fine. I, mean, I reckon a picture of Ben looking shocked and scared on the thumbnail probably would do quite well. So, <laughs> people love like high emotion th- thumbnails. So, what should we talk about? Uh, should we start with schools? So. In the last week, um, it's been announced that in September all school children will be going back. Um, it includes children that may have been shielding. Um, and it's also been announced that if there's any sort of outbreaks um, in any schools, then the first sort of port of call is going to be to um, tell the year group to isolate. So it's almost like social bubbles, but for either year groups in secondary schools or classes in uh, primary schools. Um, the more interesting point that I kind of wanted to talk to everyone on here about was that the government's announced that they're going to impose fines on parents who refuse to send their children back in to school in September. Um, this came to quite a lot of opposition, so head teachers have been quite critical of this, um, and a mental health charity has been claiming that there's been a sort of extreme anxiety that's been um, sort of induced by this pandemic, and that, you know, threatening parents with fines to send their children back probably isn't the best way to do things. Um, and another interesting point was, which was that um, Starmer appeared to back to back this and said that it, he backed the notion of schools being opened and it being compulsory in September. So I just wanted to see what you all thought of that, whether you thought, you know, what you thought of the fines part, what you thought of them going back. Nelson, what do you think? As a guy literally leaving school now, it, it it's hard because... We, we obviously want people to go back to school to learn, but you don't want that additional financial pressure. But the issue with the fines is completely blown out of proportion because p- people take holidays and they're not fine. So it's, it's, not, it's not like they're going to suddenly put the hammer down and go, OK, you've, you're, you say that you don't want to come in, so we're going to fine you. It's like, how are they going to actually prove that you're not genuinely self-isolating or genuinely have an issue that warrants you being off school i mean i i think i I see what you're saying and as with anything when you're you're finding children it's it's difficult to um well presumably they're not finding children well they're parents they're the the pair yes because pocket money Um, is not i mean inflation (laughs) rates in pocket money are pretty low these days it's true (laughs) this is true but I, i still think it's it's crazy that a government that has spent months rightly so 
basically terrifying people into staying indoors, telling them about, you know, how dangerous it is to go outside. I mean, it's the same thing with the pubs, that they've been spent months saying, stay inside, you must stay inside, you know, that the virus spreads when you go outside. Suddenly turning around and going, yeah, if you just go back to school now, oh, and if you don't, uh, we're going to fine you. It's it's mm. it's, it's this, this sort of, um, what do you expect to happen? Like, you're, you're, it's this, I don't, I don't get how you can go from, telling people to stay indoors, telling them you must stay indoors, you know, otherwise you'll be fined, to you must go outdoors and go to school or else you'll be fined in, like, the snap of fingers. It's just, I don't I don't understand that. And I, I, I think that's just, um, just, it's just wrong. I think it's just, it's just downright wrong. And I think that threatening parents with that is just not the way to do it. I think most parents are going to be receptive, quite honestly. I think most people understand that, you know, the, the virus, the, the uh, you know, transmission has gone down. I think they understand that, that children are very unlikely to get seriously ill from it, even though they do spread it. And I think they need to, you know, I think most people will understand the necessity for, you know, education to come back in in September. Ben, but, very quickly, say, what do you think is, like, what, when you said it's downright wrong, which bit do you think is wrong? Do you think it's the fact that... Fining. To, the fining is wrong. Yeah, because I think yes. we agree that at some point, obviously, children have to go back to school. Oh, yeah. No, th- exactly. 100%. I understand why schools are going back and they do have to go back. It's just the fining element. Yeah, and I think that's the... But yeah, fair enough. So I think we all agree that, you know, despite the messaging feeling a bit inconsistent, it sort of had to happen at some point. There had to be a U-turn on that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I suppose instead of finding... They could have gone for some sort of carrot approach as opposed to the stick. I think that's probably what feels mm. a little bit iffy about it. Well, there was talk of a transition period for schools so that within the first, I don't know, three, four weeks, there'd be no fines and then it slowly increases to sort of increase the pressure on uh, people going back. I think that makes more sense, you know, because that that sort of allowing parents to, you know, be a bit um, hesitant with their children going back, which I think is a completely natural feeling. I, I mean, effectively... The fine is, is fining parents for doing what they think is right and what they think is in the interests of their child health-wise. And I, I don't understand how that, in any sense, that that is reasonable to do. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong there. You know, tell me if you think I, I'm, I'm overstepping or something. But I, I think that's, that's not something that you should be fining parents for. That's just my view on it. I mean, I think I, I do agree with you, Ben. And I think finding parents is always going to be difficult and i think but equally um we obviously need to send people back at some point as everyone's been saying like this Mm. can't continue forever and fines are obviously a method that's been used before as it like would already ordinarily be used if you refuse to send your children to school is that true are they ordinarily like yeah 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 okay then yeah if you're if you're found to take a holiday for example and if you don't give like due warning to the school you will be fined Oh, okay, interesting. And I mean, as Nelson said, like it quite often wouldn't happen. You could normally get around the system, and that might also be true of this. I'd be interested if they are more strict on this. Otherwise, it becomes a bit of a farce if people are getting away with it. Um, it's like I, but... as- I assume the fines are going to be a last resort. They're not just going to immediately fine you. It's. I assume it's going to be like the head teacher must sit down and discuss your concerns and try to, like, try to calm parents and like reassure them that we have systems in place hand sanitizer etc etc it's not literally just going to be oh you didn't come in today here's a 60 quid fine um you would have thought so the 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 head teachers have been reluctant to even use to, to to want to use this power so they i would presume you're probably correct but i think from you know government wants them to do exactly that which is just to find them if they don't turn up i could be wrong but as i say i from what i've i've read i mean 
it's the head teachers that are more reluctant to use it. So if the power resides with the head teacher to impose the fines and it's not like mandatory that they do it, I think you're probably right that they they just you know they won't in the first few you know first few instances and we'll have you know some dialogue with the with the parents. But it all depends on whether that's compulsory for them to do so. It's interesting um, that that tension between the government and teachers. Because when they yeah. first started talking about it, the government was quite militant, and they started. I don't know if it was necessarily the government, but at least in lots of the right-wing papers, you saw sort of attacks on the teaching union, which is the is it the TUS? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, that sounds right. It was quite, um, you know, it's quite like a politically uh, not arrogant, but it's a you know it's a aggressive move because they're quite a popular bunch to have a go at teachers. Yeah, know, it's really. I mean, they really must be desperate essentially to get schools back if they're happy to spend political capital having a go at the teachers' union and calling them lazy and that sort of thing. Well, the the other um, the other point is that they told the the schools to open recently, and a lot of local councils just turned around and went, "Nope, no, yeah, not doing that." Um, so maybe maybe when you're talking about political capital, maybe they've already lost quite a lot with that whole saga and they're now having to resort to the sort of fines and being a bit more militant with it and saying, no, they will open and you will send your children to school sort of thing. Maybe maybe it stems from that. Yeah, I'm, it's difficult because you do need them to go back. You need a method of making people go back eventually. But as you say, the, the fines themselves are kind of, <laughs> I don't know, they're a difficult way of doing it. They're not the most elegant or the most... Well, I didn't realise that they are the, the sort of default, aren't they? They have yeah. the normal times, I suppose. You know. Yeah, which does make it better, to be fair. Um, it's also, is this a fight worth happening in September when yeah. the government and generally medical uh, professionals are expecting there to be some form of second spike in winter, regardless of how well it's managed up until then? Is it really worth having this fight in September to get all children back when it's at least highly prob- probable um, that they might all end up leaving again? Is it worth doing that now? I mean, obviously, we don't want to wait until like next summer before anyone goes back to school. Um, it's just how much of a fight are you willing to have immediately uh, when there's likely to be further issues down the line anyway? Nelson, very quickly, last thing. are you Nelson, do you have to go back to school at all? Nope, I'm no. officially off. Oh, Martin, I see you've got the, the dreamy summer. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, I literally just got emailed now saying that the Prime Minister is going to do a talk to all school leavers this Friday. Ah. Wow, a little bit in, inside info. Yeah, wow. Which hasn't been advertised on the news at all, so it's strange. Who'd you get an email from? Uh, my head of year. Oh, on nice, schools huh? thing, actually, now while we're here, anyone see the American thing, the ICE thing about foreign students? Yes. Yes. That is I nuts. Haven't. Oh, Ben, you've just been reading off the script, mate. Yeah. So basically, ICE have said that if you can only take... Without his tabs up, he's, he's all over the place. Um, if you're only um, going to take classes online, as in not go actually back to the US for the next semester, um, then you yeah. aren't... Uh, what is it? You, you, you essentially have to leave the US. Yeah, your, your visa won't be valid. Your visa won't be valid, yeah. which is nuts. Ooh. Which yeah. doesn't work because, A, so... It's, the time zones won't work, and then yeah, you've got poor, poor internet connectivity. It's like, how badly have they fought this policy through? Yeah, depending where they're sending people home to, it might be entirely impossible to do online learning at their university's time. And it's also like, well, it's kind of difficult anyway. You've already got the debate, even in the UK, of should universities force people to 
like do things online rather than like the normal student experience so if you're doing that plus oh by the way you're 12 hours off in your time zone you're working on dodgy internet and you've moved back home it's like well what are you really getting out of it at that point i saw that harvard were doing all online classes and they're keeping the tuition the same which means that to stay a u.s citizen you somehow have to do what you have to go to harvard to take online classes but stay in the u.s to make sure you could at least attend something in person which is just yeah. like completely like the amount of extra money they're forcing you to pay to keep your visa is just mental. It's essentially a full year's worth of rent plus you know some unnecessary yeah. travel costs, which is madness. Yeah, it's, and considering how suddenly it's happened as well, it's a yeah. it's a pretty drastic move, it seems. And then some countries don't even let U.S. residents back in now. Of course, True. but wouldn't you get yeah. some sort of? Oh yeah. But that would be in only a few cases where only, because presumably you would only you'd have your previous country citizenship plus a U.S. visa, but it'd be only for those people who converted to U.S. citizenship and who no, now. No, no. So like, with, with the infection rate in the U.S., they just bar you. From oh, entering. they just fully bar you. Of course, yeah. So that is a that is a buggery. That would be fun for some people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really quite big. Um, yeah. Anyway. Was, I thought I was worth You managed to one-up me on, on the anger at some form of education policies. Yeah, I didn't mind the government's education policy so much. I didn't realise that the fining was the default. I think you need some sort of policy. Now he knows and... that, but Zach doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think that one's disgraceful. That's mm. a I mean, truly horrible policy. I also think it's ridiculous that US universities, given how much they charge per annum, are even going with the whole online tutelage thing. Ridiculous. Mm. Can't pay fifty k for a bunch of Zoom classes. I mean, that is just madness. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. And also, I think, what do you think about it in the UK as well? Oh, I'm I'm I'm. Well, I was going to swear, but yeah, my that's what my uni's doing next year. UCL is doing a yeah. whole online shenanigans, and I didn't really mind because, well, mainly because I think oh, so I I live at home, so I'd be living here anyway. But especially for those people who've committed to rent or, um, on or foreign students who are paying a bit more it's yeah. just a complete rip-off it's complete man and you know that the first year is going to be crap as well you know that it's going to be like teachers with glitchy internet connection with their faces too close to this thing you know like <laughs> yeah and like terrible online whiteboards that aren't even online just people zooming in with their phones to piece of paper it's going to be a mess and yeah so i mean yeah i'm a bit annoyed but ever the optimist sack yeah, no, I, not with not with universities. I'm no longer optimist when it comes to universities. No, I totally also, agree with you. It's, it does seem like it's going to be a complete car crash next year, uni. Yeah, I just going to yeah. be a mess, especially you're not. Sorry, in, Nelson. So you're mm. um, well. Oxford are pretty um, bullish about it. They're going to take everyone back, and I think they will. They will probably stick everyone out. They had three cases last year, and they were still just going with it. And they've uh, developed their own private testing facilities. Yeah, and they're ahead on the vaccine. So, you know, if worse comes to worse, they'll just vaccine the kids up. Yeah, exactly. Vaccinate the genius children. Um, <laughs> and then Nottingham is really going to struggle. Nottingham's probably get, might well go bankrupt because if you look at um, the, the ratio of foreign students, Nottingham's one of the highest in the UK and it's really yeah. struggling. It's already cut out loads of its temporary staff. So loads of the academic staff who are on one-year contracts have just been cut. Mm. Which is, I think, fourteen universities in the UK are at risk of going bankrupt, but obviously yeah. they haven't named them. Yeah, but they were. Yeah, they were I was there looking anyway. for the list. Yeah, I was just they... about to Google for the list. It's a couple yeah, of London universities. It's I think SOAS, maybe Kings, who have been going broke for years and who really rely on um, international students. 
And yeah, I don't know. I think that in a way it might be a good thing because higher education does need a shake up. And this, I mean, this, this is one of those small positives from Corona, but higher education does need a shake up. And if coronavirus sure. is the kicker that goes, you know, we perhaps need to spend, stop spending ridiculous sums of money on useless university degrees and maybe a bit more on some sort of apprenticeship schemes, then that's so be it, you know. Okay, well, my turn to go really... now. I think uh, I'm just going to segue from that, which was you were saying that higher education needs a shake-up, and there's a possibility today in the um, what's being called the emergency budget of mm-hmm. um, Rishi Sunak doing this uh, similar thing with the UK economy. So what, what does everyone think about that? That was a terribly unsmooth segue, Ben. Uh, so what, what are you talking about the voucher scheme? I mean, any of it. Um, there's, there's loads of stuff that's been proposed. I mean, any, anything you've read, Zach? Oh, I only I read two things. I read one that the um, chair of the Bank of England is appearing before the 1922 Select Committee. Do you see that? Anyone see that? Wasn't that yeah, delayed yeah. because of the emergency budget today? No, I think he. I think that's why it's controversial. I think he actually ended up appearing. I'm on the same day as the. Or maybe it was delayed. I saw that it was planned for the same day. Did it end up being delayed? It was definitely planned for today. I, I think that's why there was controversy because. Does someone want to explain what it is to everyone before? Which bit? I what, feel like we've gotten the so deep all of a sudden. Nelson, why no. don't you do the explaining? Let's what? start top level. Explain what the emergency budget is and then go down from there, Nelson. So, the emergency budget, it, it's wrong to call it a budget because the government doesn't want to call it a budget. It's more a statement where they're going to react to the financial pressures from the coronavirus. There's a belief that stamp duty will be cut, at least, if not immediately delayed in some sort of the future um there's this education funding it's just it's just spending 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 to get the economy restarted and it's yeah p- people are hoping that it will protect certain areas of the economy that are starting to reopen and starting to have that increased costs in managing the risks and becoming so-called covid secure so mm-hmm. it's just it's just getting that money out there yeah, I don't care whether the government wants me to call it an emergency budget or not. That's that's what it is. It makes um, a better video title. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think let's talk about... Zach's already touched on it, and I think it's certainly the most interesting and unique policy that's being floated. The vouchers. So I see it's already on our, sli- on our um, list of topics, Ben. So I'm going to mm, steal your notes. Good segue. Um, but assen- essentially, uh, the idea is that everyone in the UK will be given a voucher... Um, which can be spent on, is it any business or just certain businesses? Retail. So um, yeah. they want you to go in person to go buy it from high street stores. Oh, do you have to go in person? I think the the idea with it was that you shouldn't be able to use it online because they want, obviously, in-person stores to be able to... Uh, that's, that's who it's focused for. Okay. Well, essentially, everyone in the UK would be given a voucher which they're able to spend in high street stores. Um, every adult is... This is only a proposal, obviously, at the moment. But every adult would be given £500 to spend and every child £250 to spend. Presumably given to their parent for them to spend on their behalf. Unless we're suddenly (laughs) going to get a bunch of nine-year-olds rushing to toy stores. I mean, it's not been made clear, to be fair. The the document on it doesn't say anything about that or how it would be distributed. I suppose that would be left up to government to decide. Um... From what so, I heard, it would be some form of electronic voucher, which leads me to assume even further it's got to be given to the yeah. parents. Yeah. Otherwise, like, what do you do with a four-year-old that doesn't have an email address? The, yeah. be- the belief was that if there was a second spike, they could just invalidate all the vouchers at once. <laughs> okay, so is the tip, so like, peak. rush to the shops? Yeah. 
it's, it's, which I feel like is the opposite message of the message you want to be sending. The the worst thing with that is that there's there will be somebody on their way to go buy something when that va- when the voucher is invalidated. Just statistically yeah. speaking, there will be someone has to be at the till. Yeah, yeah someone has to be. Yeah. Oh wow! Someone's just bought five hundred quid's worth of clothes <laughs> they don't really need. They're just about to pay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. What do we think of the idea? I mean, it's obviously kind of radical compared to stuff we've seen in the UK in the past. Equally, it does kind of tap into trends around kind of like, I mean, it's obviously not a UBI because it's one off, but it's in a similar vein and also in a similar vein to the US's $1,200. I love the US's $1,200 thing. It's such a funny, like, it's just such a US response. Just chuck cash at the problem. Just chuck a little bit of cash at the problem. Yeah. <laughs> make, make sure you earn not more than minimum weight. Like it's ah, oh, it's funny. Go on. Yeah. What were you gonna say, Jack? I mean, this is certainly a more fun. Like, uh, it feels more light-hearted a solution because the US problem obviously was the fact that they weren't giving much other support, and it's like, well, how much is that really meant to do? Yeah. Like two. Two you have payments kids now. And stuff. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's like that's that's not going to cover rent for the month. Also, especially given that the median the savings is like four hundred dollars per person in the US is just exactly like mad. So at least this feels a bit more like well, you've already got furlough and that kind of stuff at least for now. Um, so this feels like I'll oh, just go and buy some some fun new stuff. Like I feel like most people are looking at this with a positive outlook. Would be my guess. Yeah, I um, think so. It's interesting though that economic policy now feels so back of a napkin sort of thing like we want to get people yeah. to spend how do we do it uh, let's do vouchers <laughs> let's just, just give, give them, them more vouchers money. yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and force them to go spend it um i, I don't know if it works the other thing is that it, it they said that it'd cost 30 billion pounds if everybody spent the voucher and they said if uh something like if 90 percent spent them it'd cost 27 billion mm-hmm. um and i was looking at that and it's just i was just like it doesn't matter anymore. Like it feels like every every day there's another thing that costs another few billion. It's like, what am I comparing this to anymore? It's just like, yeah, there's going to be a massive economic sort of recession yeah. for ages after this. It doesn't really matter. You could tell me it'd have cost a hundred billion and it wouldn't have shocked me. It's just, it's, it doesn't mean anything anymore. How much these I things suppose cost? Ultimately, the hope obviously is that that money will then like spread. It will trickle down, etc. Oh yeah, help these businesses. Yeah. It will help jobs. So. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter how the money's spent or where it's spent or how much is spent if the idea is that ultimately the economic benefit will be higher. But I mean, as you say, 300 million, despite 300 billion, uh, despite the 30 fact billion. Kind of... Okay, well, now, I'm, now it's less <laughs> exciting. But no, as you do say, like 30 billion is kind of has lost perspective at this point. And despite it being clearly a lot of money, it, it doesn't really feel like it. No. Uh, and I suppose if it was much less than £500, I mean, £500 is a lot of money, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it was much less than that, you can see that it wouldn't have quite the same impact. It needs to be an amount of money that people genuinely are going to go out and spend. Because if you gave someone like 50 quid, it's more likely... I think they... 100 quid. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, it's, I'm not saying you wouldn't bother going to a shopping centre for 100 quid. Yeah, exactly. But if you've got like a big amount, like 500 quid, especially if you've got like a family of three or four, you've got like a hundred quid per, pa- 500 quid per parent and then like another grand from your kids. That's like two grand. That's a lot yeah, of money just to get so many clothes. It's ridiculous that we're fucking giving people that money. People and also, shouldn't have it. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, just <laughs> I, I just I just like to point out we've not, we're not giving anyone that, that, that yet. And it's, I still think it's unlikely that they're going to say that today. 
I think it's Nelson... a fascinating idea, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, Nelson, could you explain? Sorry, Paul Nelson's just doing the explaining bit, but could you explain the 1922 thing? Uh, so the 1922 committee is the backbench committee of the Conservative MPs. They're ultimately the people who take down the current leader, and they every few weeks, I think it is, um, the PM will have to stand before the committee and discuss the policy. Importantly, it has no cabinet ministers, so it's literally just backbench MPs discussing policy and working against or for the government. Yeah. And I know you, you did say this already, but it's purely conservatives and it would only be conservative prime ministers, obviously, that would go in front of them. Yeah. And who was going in front of them? So the, the, was it the Bank of England governor? I think so. And they was were... Yeah, go on. I think they were supposed to be going... Appearing, the, the governor was supposed yeah. to be appearing before the 1922 committee on the same day that Rishi Sunak was giving the statement. Yeah, so the, the governor of Bank of England wants to... The Bank of England's published a statement saying they what he he wants to get more involved in politics and more involved in policy making. So the plan was for him to visit the 1922 committee and then talk to the equivalent on the Labour Party. It's just it they've timed his statement so it's on the same day as the budget statement, but I believe it's been pushed back. But don't hold me on that. But his original plan to do it on the same day obviously yeah. looks quite political. It looks essentially like. Either, well, I presume he was going to say something against the big, you know what I mean, warn against the big spending or something like that. I think that's probably the line he would take. Yeah, I would have assumed it would be after the statement, basically just doing a pep talk and going, oh, this is a good policy, this is a bad policy. Yeah, exactly. That's where the issues would come up because the Bank of England is meant to be completely independent of government. Yeah, and if they're giving statements at the exact same time, it obviously looks a bit politically reactionary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that was what we were talking about. I think that was an interesting little tidbit. Um, what else are we talking about? Well, just while we're on um, the economy still, um, it's been suggested that unemployment could triple to 4 million this year, um, and there's talk of uh, the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, um, increasing the number of workers at job centres to try and help people, um, obviously, gain employment. Um so, so th- there was that. And then there was also the announcement yesterday about the arts funding. So £1.57 mm-hmm. £1. billion. Pounds. Again, just because of the amount of money being spent, it just seems just... It's hard to comprehend the amount being spent, but yeah. Um, so £1.57 billion going to the arts sector by government to try and uh, save it. The, the interesting point with that, though, is that they said that the money was aiming to save the crown jewels of UK art um, and to try and provide a bit of support to local areas so the i think they were talking about like the you know like the victorian albert you know things like that that need the money mm-hmm. to stay open they want to try and use that money to keep them open as opposed to keeping everybody in a job which seemed like an interesting bit of communication there but uh yeah which one do we talk about first should we do it in order go with the unemployment okay. one yeah, I mean, unemployment is going to be a generally interesting issue because we've kind of frozen the whole situation at the moment with the furlough scheme that people aren't becoming unemployed at the rate you would otherwise expect and you would see in other countries like the US. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the issue has been solved because the furlough scheme is set to come to an end. And even if it were to be extended, it obviously has to end at some point. Um, so there's going to be a point when the responsibility of paying for employees falls back to employers. Um 
and then the question is do they get kept on are they made unemployed is there work for them to do at that point um and if we're only talking about october at the moment for furlough to fully end that's not a whole lot of time for stuff to get back to normal especially if we are expecting a second peak across the winter um so it'll be interesting as the months go on to see what unemployment's looking like in the uk because things are looking i mean they're obviously not good at the moment but comparable to other countries they're not terrible so it'll be interesting to see how that shifts as the protection and the walls come down a bit and we actually get to see the reality of the situation and what businesses are able to do especially as we're not out of the woods yet um it's not like suddenly all businesses are fully operational and able to work businesses are still losing money a lot of the time so the situation is still getting worse for them and we're likely to see more bankruptcies and companies going into administration um, which obviously isn't going to help the situation so i mean i think four million unemployed doesn't sound unlikely um and the job center thing i mean i guess that will help but i feel like out of all the action that could be taken that's pretty minimal i think i think the other point is that there's so many industries that aren't either open yet and probably you know i, I would say it's maybe unlikely that they will by the time the furlough scheme ends so i'm thinking of things like nightclubs and places like that who you know because of the pandemic haven't been able to open yeah so for them the furlough scheme coming to an end in october is going to be quite a difficult situation because as you say the furlough schemes coming to an end and they're presumably going to be the people who have the um uh, you know redundancies and who are going to end up uh, unemployed so it's mm-hmm. a it's a pretty i mean I, I last week johnson said something about announcing this week the planned reopening of the industries that haven't been able to open yet so i wonder has anyone heard anything about when that's going to happen this week no i have no inside no. info no damn anyway anybody else have any thoughts on this i have i have nothing really to say about unemployment <laughs> sorry yeah i don't i mean it'll be, be interesting fair, it's one of those things where it's a fundamentally an economics question and i don't know anyone else know the answer and the government hopes that the furlough scheme will mean, lead to some sort of v-shaped recovery you know where we're just like the economy just sort of de-thaws and we like oh no just thaws de-thaws mm-hmm. thaws and it just sort of goes back to normal super quickly but i think everyone's realizing that both for economic reasons i.e because people have loans that they're going to have to can, continue to pay off which will make them struggle and also for sort of more psychological behavioural reasons about people not being too keen about returning back to you know normal consumer habits it probably won't be such a straight up V recovery so yeah what about arts Zach? arts funding I also don't know I just don't know enough about where that funding is being allocated to really have a strong opinion on it I know that lots of my friends were getting stressed out about it but I you know I heard something that's going to um what's called arms length bodies so like all the government backed theatres or the government backed no. art but I yeah the government hasn't published details yet because it ultimately doesn't know which sector needs more money than the others and which one mm-hmm. needs that support because they don't want to end up supporting something that didn't need the support I s- and I leaving don't. something to fail I saw a really funny interview with the head of some big theatre thing talking about, um, he had a very good point, which was essentially that, I, I don't obviously the government has prioritised certain things, essentially in terms of the, their relative economic values. Like, we opened up plane flights because, of course, that's sort of like necessary for the functioning and the growth of the economy. That's, I think that's the main reason why you 
Starlock plane flights. But his point was that if you can sit in a Boeing 747, you know, six of you shoulder to shoulder, there should be no reason why you can't go to a theatre and sit in a socially distance, you know what I mean? One seat in sure. between you sort of thing. Um, uh, the reason it was entertaining is because he used the phrase six abreast when talking about <laughs> Boeing 747s. And I just thought I've never heard that phrase before. Uh, I think... This is clearly good that we're getting some more funding in an area that was kind of neglected up until now. Considering how important the art sector is to the UK economy and when you look at some of the stats around that. And when you really think about like places where Britain really excels, even if you're looking non-economically, if you're looking where our power and influence as a country lies at this point, there's few other sectors that we do quite as well as arts. I mean, financial services, sure, but as like actual influence on the world actual like soft power we have the arts is one of our strongest areas so considering that it had nothing up until this point well then 1.57 billion sounds great i mean compared to the 30 billion being proposed for high street vouchers uh i think maybe it kind of pales in comparison but i suppose if you're trying to recover the whole uh, like retail industry then maybe that requires a bit more funding but it's a positive step that money's being put in such a vital industry for the uk um it's just where it's going and if and if enough money's going there to actually make a real difference nelson any opinions on unemployment or arts funding yeah because the thing to stress here is there's a difference between solvency and liquidity the art arts i was not expecting that what a start we love it yeah. go on really so, strong start so so, so, art, so the arts are fundamentally profit making industries they're not run at losses it's just all the incomes dried up suddenly that they've still got to pay the maintenance it's like imagine the maintenance on the royal albert hall when there's no when the bbc proms are off or there's no theater it's they've got no income so it's even though they're profit making industries if you're not if no one's buying your stuff you're not going to make a profit so it's just plugging that hole it's it's like my opinion is there's no point to rescuing fundamentally destroyed businesses that are always just making losses, even if they're in employment. But it's rescuing the businesses that make profit, it's, uh, but are just struggling at this time. So is is well, if you could flesh out the distinction between solvency and liquidity. Uh, so liquidity uh, is cash at cash at hand. So liquidity solvency is. If you were to sell everything you own, would you make a profit? So it's, so it's the difference between the cash you have at hand and the assets you have. So a business mm-hmm. can a business can have a lot of assets but have absolutely no liquidity. That's what ultimately caused the bank run because they had the mortgages but they couldn't sell them fast enough to repay deposits. There we go. And the theatres are in a similar condition in that they have a lot of assets but no liquidity. But they have no income. Lovely. Wow, there we go. That was a proper... That was, I'm so glad I asked you, Nelson. <laughs> so, yeah, Nelson, also, the, well, I wanted to move on to travel corridors, and you seem to have done a little bit on this last week, or at least you had some opinions on it. Yeah, mainly because I've got a holiday booked. Yeah, so... Where are you meant to be going? Uh, Madeira, Portugal. And when are you meant to be going there? Uh, three weeks. Oh, wow, okay, uh, soon. Yeah. Do you, that's not on the list, though, is it, Portugal, or is it? This is the confusing thing. So last week, the fo- two lists came out. The Foreign and Commonwealth Office published one list of where they were going to be dropping the travel restrictions. 
because before beforehand all but essential travel was banned. So the Foreign and Commonwealth Office have published this list saying you're allowed to go there. And now I, I'm not sure who published it, but you've got the travel corridors list where it's if you come back from these countries, you don't have to self-quarantine for 14 days. Portugal is on one, but isn't on the other. So I have to self-quarantine when I come back. Right. Christ. Yeah, that seems that seems like a mistake, doesn't it? That seems like a and a pretty big one at that. The two lists not lining up. Yeah, so, so they're basically saying you can go there, just we don't want you coming back. <laughs> right. How long are you meant to be there, Nelson? Four weeks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it's probably worth it then. Yeah. And um, it's set to be reviewed on the 27th of July. So on the 27th of July, we're going to get more more or less countries put on the list. Yeah. It'll be interesting as it plays out, as like the pandemic continues and as rates go up and down in countries to see how that list is adjusted. Because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. you can see in the next few months, it's probably going to get more countries on the list. But then it's a case of, do we then suddenly see a load of countries drop back off of the list again? Also, notably, America's not on. E- what list? It might be on one list, but it's certainly not on the. It's not come back without quarantine. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, which obviously is fairly impactful for. I mean, not even just people visiting on holidays and stuff, but also business and all that kind of stuff. If you're trapped inside and want something unique and a little weird to keep you busy, consider picking up Brexit: The Coloring Book, TLDR's brand new book. The TLDR team have spent hours designing, creating and writing this book, which features 15 iconic moments from the Brexit process. From the moment that David Cameron announced the referendum, to the day that the UK's flag was taken down in Brussels. Not only do you have 15 beautiful images to colour in, you also have a timeline that goes alongside each image, putting it in context and reminding you exactly what was happening. Check out the book and all of our other merch over at tldrnews.co.uk forward slash store and use code podcast to get 10% off your order. Um, I was going to talk about the lockdown easing in some of the other countries because I think it's quite interesting to see where other countries are in the whole like uh, lifting restrictions uh, because uh-huh. there are some that are really far ahead. Um that I mean, some of them. I think Denmark is currently allowing gatherings of up to ten people indoors, which isn't unheard of. That's kind of, yeah. uh, but they're looking that uh, they increased it in June to being fifty people. Um, That's a lot. Being able to meet, which is which is quite big. There's uh, I forget where it was. Um, oh, that was it. Belgium. They've allowed, and this was this was on BBC News. So they said sports, sporting events, religious ceremonies, and village fates have reopened with a cap of 200 people indoors and 400 people outdoors um, and that doubles in August um, which I still think is such a big step and that seems so far ahead considering where we're we're at Um, I mean Netherlands have opened nightclubs uh, secondary schools have reopened bars and restaurants so yeah there seems to be like you know mainland Europe there seems to be quite a lot of um, yeah there seems to be a lot of easing of it and there seems there seems to be a, a you know, very different stage to where, where we're at currently. Do you think I mean, this is somewhere we're going to get to in the next few months or do you think this is... I mean, hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the stats, it does make sense for a lot of these countries. They are ahead of us still. They have been able to flatten the curve for quite a while. Some of these for months at this point have been pretty flat. 
So, I mean, they've got to reopen at some point. They can see that even if there is going to be a spike in the winter, um, they've got a good few months until then. So why not open village fates in Denmark or whatever? Um, oh, no, not Denmark, sorry, France. Belgium. We don't want to give Was misleading information. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it does make sense. They are ahead of us. So this is obviously something we can look forward to. You will be able to get back in a nightclub eventually, Ben. Um, it's just whether that will happen as soon. Um, I don't know. The results have been published. Ooh. Oh, oh, oh. No, oh, how'd it go? I forgot about this. I got a first. Oh, well Yay. done. Well done. Oh, hey. But uh, a big clapping sound effect there. Is Yeah, and weirdly enough, that's the end of the list for podcast topics, unless Zach wants to go off script again. No, I don't, I don't particularly want to go off script. Uh, uh, so... We'll just... We'll stop recording now and I'll record an ending separately and also some promotions later. Are we not all signing off then? We're just... Oh, we, we can do. We can do a little orchestrated sort of chorus of goodbyes. So we, it, it hard cuts from Ben's uni results to like a, <laughs> a quartet of us like singing goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> That'd be really, <laughs> really weird. That would be really weird. Well, it's a good job we're not doing it then. Um, we can just have this. This is good. This, <laughs> this can be the ending. Uh, okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. All right. Thank Speak you for listening, everyone. Bye bye. Speak to you Goodbye. next week. Goodbye. <laughs> nice. <Not a> <laughs> that was a pool. <laughs>If you like this podcast and want to support TLDR as well as getting some bonus content every week, consider backing us on Patreon. Patrons get all kinds of perks, including bonus clips of this podcast. So for only $3 a month, you can get priority comments on our YouTube videos and the right to vote on the topics we discuss. Or for $10 a month, you can get bonus podcast clips, behind the scenes posts, early access to videos, discounts on our merch store, your name at the end of our videos, and much more. Find out more and get your perks over at patreon.com forward slash TLDR news.